0: Good morning and welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship this Advent season. Welcome to all of you in the overflow this morning. And welcome to all of you at the Franklin campus. Pastor Eric, Natasha, God bless you all. I love you so much. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Let's jump right in. Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 25. One of Jesus' most famous sermons. One of Jesus' most puzzling sermons. Here in Luke chapter 21. Several years ago now, there was a, a little boy, a fifth grader in a Dallas suburb who on September 10th, one day before 9-11, one day before the attack on New York City in Washington, D.C., on September 10th in a Dallas suburb, a fifth grader walked up to his teacher at her desk and he said, tomorrow World War III will begin. And at the moment, the teacher dismissed that. She had no idea what the boy was talking about. But what he said to her was, tomorrow, World War III will begin. It will be a horrible, long war, and America will lose. Fifth grader in a Dallas suburb on September 10th, one day before September 11th. That little boy was not in school the following day or the next day. The superintendent reported it to the FBI. No one knows if they followed up on that tip or not, but there was a boy in a Dallas suburb who said that the next day, September 11th, World War III would begin. It would be a long war, and America would lose. Interesting. Scary. It's like a children of the corn moment there, isn't it, when a little boy in a Dallas suburb can walk up and say something like that. Predictions like that typically make us afraid. And honestly, I don't know what to do with that kind of story. I don't know what sense to make of that little boy who seemed to know something that nobody else in the whole world seemed to know, but he knew, or did he? What do we make of that? Honestly, I don't know. The world is full of predictions, and there are plenty of people out there today making predictions. Some of them may prove to be somewhat true. Some of them will absolutely prove to be false. Most people making predictions about the future are lunatics. I saw, what's her name, Sylvia Brown on Montel Williams the other day. The woman's crazy as a bat. She's just crazy, and the predictions she makes are crazy. Why anybody would continue to listen to people who make false predictions is simply beyond me. The world is filled with false prophets, people who talk about the future who do not know. But I want you to understand something. In Luke chapter 21, it's Jesus talking, and Jesus knows. Jesus knows the future And Luke chapter 21 is one of those rare instances when Jesus, the Son of God, talks about the things that are going to come to pass. And in Luke chapter 21, he preaches a sermon all about the future. To this day, scholars, Bible scholars, faithful Bible readers haven't been able to unravel all the knots. It's hard for us to know and, and explain with absolute certainty and clarity what Jesus is talking about. The one thing about the sermon that you probably need to know, we're gonna pick up in the middle of it, but the first part of the sermon, Jesus is talking about events that would happen in the future from the perspective of him and the disciples Jesus says early on that there in verse six, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. He's talking about the Jerusalem temple and he says not one stone will be left on top of another. They're sitting there before one of the wonders of the ancient world, sitting there before the beautiful temple in Jerusalem and someone makes a remark about, look how beautiful it is and this is how the whole sermon begins. This is Jesus' introduction Somebody says, my, what a beautiful temple, and Jesus says, you want to know something? That temple is going to be completely demolished one day, not one stone left on top of another. And that's disturbing. It was disturbing to them. What you should understand, though, is since Jesus said that between his day and our day, that temple's been demolished, that part of his sermon has already come true. That part of his sermon has already come true. Jesus says not one stone will be left upon another. Do you need me to tell you that in the year 70, AD 70, the Romans marched into Jerusalem and destroyed that temple just like Jesus said. They destroyed that temple that Jesus said would be completely demolished. Jesus said not one stone left upon another You should probably know that when they burned the temple, all of the gold in the temple melted and ran between the bricks. So the soldiers on their way out of looting the temple, they cracked those bricks open, every single one, to get the melted gold out from between the stones. Not one stone left on top of another. That was in the year 70. Part of what Jesus says in the sermon has already happened. The rest of it is going to happen. The word Advent, the season of Advent which we celebrate today, the the Christmas season, it's all about the first coming of Jesus and you should know that for centuries and centuries and centuries, prophets of God said that the Messiah would come, that Christ would come, that time came and Jesus was born and Christ has come. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. But understand, those prophecies have come true. There are other prophecies yet to come true. And those pertain to Jesus' next coming. The Jesus that came the first time at Christmas is coming again. That's what I want us to think about this morning. Luke chapter 21, in the middle of this sermon where Jesus talks about the future. Chapter 21, verse 25, this is the word of the Lord. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, You know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear. But my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. I used to love flying in airplanes. I didn't fly in a plane for the first time until I was probably 21, 22 years old. I was was a young adult before I ever flew. I grew up in Woodburn. I thought only rich people flew in airplanes. I finally flew. I loved it. And then I married, of course, my wife, Casey, whose parents lived in Alaska. And so for the first number of years of our marriage, we would save all of our money, and every two years, we would try to fly to Alaska. Wonderful, wonderful flight. I used to love to fly. I don't love to fly anymore. Anybody flown recently? Uh, Really, not me. Some of you have. It's not what it used to be to fly. It's not the fun that it it, it used to be at all. Of course, we know that 9-11 happened. And after 9-11, all of the airport security was upgraded. And now, in my opinion, it is just nearly a miserable thing to go through the airport. It, it was bad enough when they just tightened up security and made it where every time you walk through the metal detector, you're going to set off the detector, no matter what you've got. You've got that stray penny in your pocket, you got a filling in your tooth, you were just thinking metallic thoughts, but somehow you will set off. You will set off the, the the metal detector. It's just amazing. Everything seems to set it off, and and now they've got it where you have to put your toiletries, all of those embarrassing personal items, you've got to put in a little ziploc baggie somewhere in your suitcase. You can't carry on shampoo anymore. I don't understand. And then they started making us take off our shoes. I hate taking off my shoes like that. You have to kick them off and stand around in your socks like you're at a sixth grade girl slumber party. Everybody just standing around in in your socks and they're looking at your shoes. I don't get that, putting my shoes through the conveyor. I just don't understand what kind of a weapon my shoe could ever be, the, the shoes. But do you know what's coming next? They're calling it the anxiety machine, the anxiety machine. It's coming to an airport near you. The anxiety machine is a new kind of detector. Do you know what it detects? Anxiety. Yeah, good luck with that one, people. It's just going to pick up people who are under a little more stress than everybody else. Like, who's that going to be? They're thinking that maybe the terrorists will be a little bit nervous about planning to blow up the whole thing. I don't know if they'd be as nervous as the rest of us. Do you know what I'm saying? But somehow the anxiety machine is like a lie detector. It's supposed to pick up changes in your heart rate, changes in your skin temperature, changes at your pulse rate. The kind of changes that would accompany anxiety. And they're thinking that they might pick up a few more terrorists by screening for anxiety. I've got news for them. They're going to pick up every single one of us with that machine. Do you understand? They're going to get every single one of us. Who is not stressed standing around in your sock feet getting, getting detected for metal? Who is not stressed with all of your personal items in a baggie with an anxiety machine hanging over your head? Who is not stressed? I promise you I will blow that machine sky high the first time I walk through. I am a stress machine myself, and so are you. It's the day and age we live in, it's a sign of the times. We live under extraordinary stress. My goodness. Maybe you saw this week the chart in the newspaper talking about unemployment rates in our region right now. Warren County's actually got it pretty good. I think our unemployment rate is still right there, somewhere over 10%. That's horrible, but it's pretty good compared to Franklin. Franklin's unemployment is something like 12% now, and the surrounding counties go as high as 14% unemployment. My goodness, that's horrible. Right here at Christmas time. A horrible thing. People have been out of work now, some for over a year. Do you even understand what that must be like? Do you understand the stress that so many people are under? In the last few months, we've been vaccinated for two different kinds of flu. They made us feel like that the swine flu would kill us all. H1N1, I got my vaccination. I I, I was afraid that I'd be snorting like a pig by the end of the day. I mean, the vaccination they give you can scare you as much as the the dread of the disease itself. I'm telling you, how's anybody supposed to live these days and not be stressed? H1N1, seasonal flu. My, My goodness, unemployment, politics. We don't need a machine to tell us that we're stressed. We don't need a machine to tell us that we're anxious. And Jesus told us that there would be days like This is the hard part for us. As we think about the end of all things, as we think about the second coming of Jesus, as we think about the end of the world, some of us are sitting here believing right now, it's gotta be close, I can feel it in my anxious bones, it's gotta be close, the end of the world is upon us, and it is, it really, really is. In in college, I was an art major, don't hate me for that. I, I was an art major. I was taking a design class one day, and our project was enormous. We had to do a design project all in white. It was white paper, white board, and our assignment was to do a texture. I can't explain it to you. I don't think I did well on it. But I had to make this big texture out of board. I cut boards. I have made little pyramids. I spent hours and hours and hours on this all in white. I was working up to the very, very last moment. It was due at the end of that class period, and I was sitting there still working with my X-Acto knife, cutting tiny little pieces, making this thing as magnificent as I could. Did I mention it's all white? And in the middle of my work, in the middle of my little X-Acto work, right there next to it, I got a nosebleed. It's not as bad as you're thinking, only in some ways worse. It was actually one drop. It was like a a little nosebleed, a tiny nosebleed. One drop just went bloop. Right in the middle of my white project, a drop of blood, boop, right there, right there. I thought I was gonna die. I mean, we're right at the end of the period. This thing is due, it's due right now. I've worked for hours and hours, bloop, a drop of blood, my own blood, right there in the middle of it. I nearly burst out in tears. I went up to the professor to ask for mercy. I go up, go, bloop, <laughs> stand in there. And the professor, this older lady, looked at me like I was crazy and said, it's not the end of the world. Well, it's the end of my grade, but it may not be the end of your world. You understand? She just wanted me to understand. It's not the end of the world. It, it was really, really bad for me, but not, not the end of the world. In this sermon, Jesus says the same kind of things to his disciples. And all through scripture, he continues to make this emphasis. He continues to say that as time turns into eternity, as as the world moves toward its end, there are going to be very, very difficult times. There are going to be very, very uh, important natural disasters. And there are going to be moments when it seems like the whole world is crashing in. But Jesus says over and over, that's not the end. That's not the end of the world. There's going to be all kinds of trouble, all kinds of tribulations. There will be many, many moments in this world when you will be persecuted for your faith, but that's not the end of the world. That's not the end yet. The end is coming. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever deny it. The end is coming, but, but every time you have a difficult day, every time tribulation comes upon you personally, that's not the end. The anxiety that you and I carry these days, that constant stress, that fear of wondering where the world is headed. We know where the world is headed, but every moment of local trouble, that's not necessarily the end of the world. You need to understand that. Things can get very, very bad and times can get very, very hard and sometimes things will swing back and be good again and then they'll swing back and they may get very, very bad. But Jesus says that's the way life is. That's the way the world rolls. You just got to understand that 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 may not be the end yet. The end is coming. But when it comes... It's going to come upon the whole world at once, Jesus says. That day will come upon the entire world. He will come and every eye will see him. The end of the world is not going to be just when we begin to have a little bit of trouble here in Kentucky. Don't you understand? The world is always having trouble. The end of the world may not come just because we begin to suffer persecution for our faith, which none of us ever truly have. We've never really suffered that. I'm terrified by stories I read coming out of China and the Sudan and Egypt where Christians are really persecuted. I read the story recently of the police coming into a church in China and they beat the pastor while he was in the middle of his preaching. They beat him in front of the congregation. Then they dragged him off to jail. They let him out. He died trying to walk back to his church. Even that, my friend, That's not even the end of the world. Jesus said, you're going to see these things. You're going to see all kinds of signs. You're going to see all kinds of trouble and turmoil. But that's not the end yet. But the end is coming. It's really coming. I remember years ago at Rich Pond Elementary School, we did this thing called storm drills. Anybody remember those things? Do you still do storm drills at school? You still do those? Yeah. The alarm goes off and they tell you to go into the hall. Do you still go into the hallway? And do you still assume storm positions? I'm glad to know some things don't change. Except for the fact that I doubt I can get in a storm position these days. Do you remember? The alarm would go off and Mr. Slinker would come on the intercom and he would say, Okay, storm drill, storm drill, everybody into the hall. And we'd go into the hall, and honestly, even though it was only a drill, I was always afraid that it might be the real thing, that maybe Mr. Slinker just said drill, so we wouldn't panic. So I would always panic anyway. <laughs> go out into the hallway. We would get in the hall, and we would sit up against the wall, and we would take our storm positions. Do you remember? We had to sit down, pull our knees up. I used to could do that, and put our head down, and then cover our head with our hands. That was storm position. Why did we assume the storm position? What's the advantage of this position? Any idea? If the whole world collapses on top of us, I'll already be in a ball. I guess that was the whole, that was the whole point. If the school caves in on my head, I've got my fingers over my head. I guess that's supposed to help. But that was the storm position. I guess anytime something's about to fall on your head, that's the typical response. We duck and cover. But notice what Jesus says to his disciples about that coming day. He said, if you do pay attention, you'll start to see signs. You'll start to see signs that this whole world is running down like a clock. You'll start to recognize, in the same way that you look out at the beginning of the season and you see a, a tree with leaves beginning to sprout, and you know summer is near. It's that same idea, Jesus says. If you pay attention, you'll start to see signs that this whole world is winding up. And when you start to see those signs, what does Jesus say? He says, assume the storm position. Is that what he says? When you start to see the signs that the whole world is about to end, what you need to do is wrap yourself in Bubble wrap. You need to go into a a locked room, seal up the door with duct tape. Didn't they tell us to do that a couple of years ago for something? Seal up the door. Have a supply of water and a flashlight with batteries. Is that what Jesus says? Assume your storm positions, duck and cover. No, Jesus says something amazing to his people. He says when you start seeing the signs unfold, and you can start realizing that the time is near. Stand up and raise your hand. That's not the storm position. Do you see what I'm saying? That's not the storm position. You stand up, he said. You raise your head. No duck and cover. You stand and raise your head. Because your salvation is near. It's a mixed kind of message, isn't it? The world really is ending. It really, really is. And all of the people out there who think they're going to save the planet, they don't understand that God's going to destroy it that they don't understand, that there's no saving this planet, that there is no salvation for it outside of Christ, and Christ himself will come one day to destroy it all. That's what the scriptures say. It's really, really going to happen. Part of what Jesus said in this sermon has already happened. The rest, we're just waiting to see it unfold. It's going to happen, and you're going to start to see the signs, and you're going to start to realize that things can't go on like they're going. You're going to start to realize that this anxiety building up inside of us, it's going to lead to somewhere. It's going to lead to the end of everything. That's what Jesus says. And he says, on the one hand, you should pray for strength to stand and face the horrors that are going to come because it's going to be horrible. But at the very same time, Jesus says, you stand and you lift your head because all of this unfolding simply means one thing for us as believers It simply means that the day of our salvation is closed. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to preach weddings. I love weddings. I preached a wedding yesterday right here in this room. David Becker and Anel Solar. it was a beautiful thing. Anel Solar was an amazing, amazing bride. And y'all know Anel, she's a beautiful lady. Do you know that a few years ago, Anel Solar was in the army and that she flew Chinook helicopters for the US Army in Iraq? Just a few years ago, that's where she was. Now, right now, she's a school teacher about this tall with blonde hair. She's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But she can take any man, boy, woman, or girl in her whole school in push-ups. I'm not kidding. They love to challenge Miss Solar. This is an amazing bride. And yesterday, she walked through that door, and her groom, David Becker, stood right here. And my favorite thing is to look at the man's face when the woman's coming through the door. It's amazing, absolutely amazing, that moment when the lovers see one another. Y'all know Tony and Dale Rayome? You know Tony and Dale here at our church? Their wedding was probably one of the best. Well, Tony and I were sitting right there behind that door getting ready to come in and I had been at rehearsal, I was preaching that wedding, I knew everything about that wedding, but the very last minute I looked and Tony was back there, he had something written in his hand and he was practicing something. And I'm thinking, I don't know what Tony's practicing. I don't know how, any idea what in the world he's doing. I mean, we're right, we're ready to come in. I said, Tony, is there something you need to tell me? He said, Well, brother Tim, I was thinking about maybe singing when Dell comes down the aisle. I said, Tony, can you sing? I said, Tony, can you sing? And Tony said, oh, oh, okay. I mean, he didn't say yes. He didn't say no. I didn't know what to do. I said, Tony, you just gotta tell me. We're about to walk through those doors. And if you're gonna sing, we've gotta tell the instrumentalists because they think they're gonna play. Everybody thinks that the piano's gonna play, here comes the bride. If you got something to sing, you gotta tell me now. Are you gonna sing or not? He looked at his hand one more time. He said, I'm gonna sing. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked back out. I told the instrumentalist, don't play. There's a change of plans. What? What? Don't play, change in plans. <laughs> I told the pianist not to play, but I said she might ought to say a prayer. <laughs> I went back. Tony came. Tony stood right here. Dell's coming through the door. Dell steps in. She's beautiful, absolutely beautiful, radiant bride. She steps through the door. The door's open. No music. And then Tony, sitting right here, says, "Unforgettable. <laughs> That's what you are." It was the best moment. Dell comes down the aisle with her flowers like this. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was awesome. He's saying, unforgettable. My goodness, all of us as men, we are small before Tony Ariome's romantic greatness. That is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. There's nothing like that moment when the bride and the groom, like I, there's nothing like that and when Jesus says I'm coming again when Jesus says if you pay attention it's like the trees coming out in the spring you'll start knowing what time it is when Jesus says that of course it strikes a little bit of fear in our hearts because because we love the world We love our lives, and I would say none of us really wants to see our lives interrupted like that. We hate to think about there being an end to all of this. Honestly, I I love most of this. But Jesus says when you see that coming, you stand, you, you lift your head, because your salvation is near. Remember the last few weeks we've been talking about the church as the bride of Christ and how everything that's happening is meant to prepare us, to perfect us, to sanctify us so that in that moment when we lock eyes with the King of glory, we will be presented to him as a spotless, righteous, pure, and holy bride. It's it's that kind of moment. Stand, lift your head. Your salvation is near. It's that kind of moment. But Jesus knows something about the hearts of his disciples. And and even on this day, even on this sermon, even speaking to these men in their primitive, primitive world, Jesus knew something about them. He knew that there's something about our hearts, the way we tend to fall in love with things down here. Something about our hearts and and, and our lives and the way we tend to make ourselves so very comfortable here in the world. And Jesus says, you can't do that. This world is not your home. You can't fall in love with the world like that so that it breaks your heart to think about seeing it all pass away. You can't give your heart to this world I know how much you love Christmas. I know how much you love movie popcorn. I know how much you love your house. And I know how much you love to see the sunrise and the sunset. I know how much you love to see the poinsettias in December. I know how you love to see the daffodils in April. I know how much you love to walk in the rain. I know how much you love to sit and hold hands with your sweetheart. I know how much you love school. I know how much you love your job. But you can't love these things like that. You can't fall in love with the world like that because it's passing away. Everything you see, everything about your life down here, it's passing away. Jesus is telling you the truth. He's predicting something that's going to happen. Your life here will end. This whole world will melt like wax. It is not permanent. Don't give your heart to this world. Do not fall in love with this world. Don't fall in love with its its things. Don't fall in love with the fun down here. Don't give your heart to this world. This world is destined for destruction. In in Jesus' words, the sermon he preaches, he says, Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. Understand, he's talking to people in the first century There wasn't much for them. Nobody had ever invented a a Wii game system. Nobody had ever seen a Porsche. Nobody had ever seen a flat screen TV. Jesus, when he's talking to this audience, there weren't a lot of things for them to fall in love with. Jesus says, don't let your soul, don't let your hearts be dulled by drunkenness and, and, and partying. It's not much else for them. There's so much for us to fall in love with. But Jesus says, don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. There is nothing down here for you. There's nothing down here for you. So when that moment comes, stand, lift your head, understand something beautiful. Your salvation draws near. Your salvation draws near. You've probably all seen ABC's Extreme Home Makeover. I talk about that sometimes in my sermons. I never see it. I'm always in church on Sunday night. But I know how the show goes. We all know that when the show begins, somebody's gonna get a new house and it's gonna be wonderful. The end of that show is gonna be a lot of fun when they move that bus and they all see the beautiful new place. But, but you know, at the beginning of the show, there's always kind of an awkward moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that moment when they call the family in Disney World or wherever they are, it's always Disney World. When they call the family and they say, I want you to hear something, and they hold this cell phone out and what do they make them listen to? The sound of their house being driven over by bulldozers. <laughs> They make them listen to the sound of their whole house being destroyed. And it's an odd kind of moment because at that moment, that family's not going, woo-hoo, woo-hoo! They're not doing that then. It's strange, isn't it? Even though they know that a house has got to go to make room for the new place, even though they know that at the end of it all, it's going to be glorious, that moment of destruction, that moment when they listen to their home, destroyed by the wrecking ball, that moment... Is difficult. When Jesus says, you're going to see signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. The nations are going to be in turmoil. They're going to see signs in the oceans and the tides. We're not talking about natural disasters here. We're talking about unnatural disasters, the kinds of things that will frighten the whole world. Jesus says, when you see that, stand up, lift your head. Your salvation is near. It's hard, isn't it? Because unlike the show, we won't be in Disney World when that happens, they're gonna destroy the place while we're still here, gonna destroy the planet while yet we wait for him, That's that's the prediction. But Jesus says when that happens, you just stand up, you lift your head, your salvation is near. A few years ago, Christmas Eve, I had put off Christmas shopping, as I always do. I, I always do. I, I had gone to Nashville to make hospital visits, so I thought to myself, this is going to be good. I can swing by Rivergate Mall on my way home and do all of my shopping. All of my shopping means something for Casey and something for my son. Casey does all the rest of it. God bless her. I only had to buy two things. I got to the mall. It, it's the last minute. It's Christmas Eve. Nobody had ever told me that malls close early on Christmas Eve. Y'all know this? It's the dirtiest trick ever. So I walk in and I realize that the mall's gonna close in about 15 minutes. Which tells me I've got 15 minutes to buy two things. I was a lunatic. I was literally running running through the mall, I'm running through the department stores, running through the toy stores, running through Victoria's Secret, running through any place in the world, trying to find anything. It was a horrible, horrible feeling, that feeling that the time was running out, that I had a very, very important mission, an important job to do, and very, very little time to get it done. It was an anxious kind of feeling. It, it's the kind of feeling that we as the church should have right now, because truly, Time's running out. That's what Jesus says. You can stake your life on this. The world will not continue forever. Life as you know it has an ending point, and one day Jesus will appear and put the period to it you know that's going to happen. So the question is not when. The disciples always ask the question that we have. When's this gonna happen, Jesus? Tell us the date, the place. We wanna know when. And Jesus always, always shifts that question to the side. The question is not when. And anybody who can tell you when, they're making it up. And anybody who can roll out a chart or a calendar and a timeline, they're making it up. Scripture doesn't give us that. Anybody who seems to know more than the Bible about Jesus' second coming, they're making most of it up. All that we have is what Scripture gives us. That's all I have to preach. It's all I will preach. I don't have a timeline. I don't have a calendar because Jesus always tells his disciples to avoid those questions. That's not the question for you. The question is not when. The question is knowing that he's coming again How should I live? Knowing that this whole world will one day dissolve like snow. How should I live? Knowing that one day I will meet him face to face. How should I live? For centuries, prophets foretold that first advent. They said that Christ would come. He would come into the world, God with us. And we all now know he has come. Jesus came. The fulfillment of all of those promises, the answer to all of those predictions, Jesus came exactly as scripture said. But understand, the same scripture says that that same Jesus will come again This next time, not in humility, not in the straw of a manger, not like that. This next time, with the sun, moon, and stars falling out of the sky, with the king of glory appearing and every eye beholding him, he comes again. He was promised to come the first time, and he came. It's promised that he will come again, and he will come again. The the message for you today be ready to meet him you be ready to meet him pray with me god truly we know that you love the world the verse we all know from john 3:16 tells us that you love the world And because you love it, Lord, you're going to come again one day and remake it. Make it new. Restore it to the glory to which it was intended to be. Restore it, Lord, to your perfection. God, you are coming to restore the world. God, that promise thrills our hearts because we know that with your coming, our salvation comes. And God, that is what we live for. God, help us to know that that is what we live for. Lord Jesus, the problem is we love the world but in a different way. Lord, you love the world for what it's going to be and unfortunately, Lord, we love the world for what it is in its brokenness, in its perversion, in its shallowness. Lord, somehow we manage to let the things of the world fill up our hearts although they never satisfy us. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would help us to release our love for the world and transfer all of that love to you O Christ, so that in the moment that we see you coming, in the moment when we recognize that our salvation is drawing near, in the moment that our eyes meet your eyes, there will be nothing in our hearts but pure love and joy. Lord Jesus, it was promised that you would come the first time, and you have come, and we celebrate your first advent. Oh Christ, it is promised that you will come again, And Lord, today we stand, we lift up our heads and we simply say, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. Let our salvation come to complete fulfillment. Lord Jesus, we long to see your face. Come and come quickly. We pray for the sake of the world. Amen.